After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Throughout the 1970s, British situation comedy went through a golden era, producing some of Britain's finest television moments. In 1973, BBC commissioned a new sitcom vehicle originally created for Ronnie Barker, entitled Some Mothers Do Have Em, written by the Isle of Wight's very own Ray Allen. Unfortunately, Ronnie Barker declined the role and the West End star, Michael Crawford, perfectly fitted the role as a frequently misguided Frank Spencer, and another hit sitcom was born. I was lucky enough to catch up with Ray near his home on the Isle of Wight to talk scriptwriting, comedy and life after Frank Spencer. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ray Allen. Okay, firstly, uh, let's go back to the very beginning. You were born in Ride on the Isle of Wight, and your first brush with entertainment came when you were a cub reporter for the Isle of Wight Times. It would, in what ways did this offer a grounding which you later cultivated as a television scriptwriter? Well, it was something I enjoyed um, but it was just so totally different from, from script writing and uh, one of the, there were two reasons why I, I only stayed a couple of years. Um, one of them was I, I'd already started writing for television. I wasn't selling anything but I was sending it off and, and I found um, it was difficult to write in my spare time if if you're writing during the day as well, and also I'm very much an evening person, night person, and uh, most of the work on the local on a local paper is, is is in the evening, and you're going to various functions and um, reporting them, and I always like to to do my write my fiction in the evening, and I I wanted to get a job that was totally a, a total contrast to actually writing. So that that's why I left, but um seems a long time ago now. I remember um when I was going to work sometimes it was in in the fifties um one of the people who I used to see from a distance was Craig Douglas delivering the milk and he be, he became a famous local singer. The first lesson. I was ever taught about script writing was that the industry it's an industry of projection before you became a successful writer it's reported that your scripts were rejected approximately 40 times in this situation what keeps you focused and determined I think if you knew if you could see ahead and see how long it would take to sell your work it would be even more difficult to keep going um, because I, I was 14 or 15 when I, when I first started sending scripts in. And by, by the time I was 30, I was still sending them in and they were still being rejected. Um, and I, I think I must have sent about 45 scripts altogether over 15 or 16 years. Um, 
and it was a I was told um, you should never if you had a rejection you should send it out straight away don't keep it in the house and so with 45 plays they were going back and forth and so they, they were coming back so many times I was getting them every day you know um, but you always think you always think the next one's going to be the winner because all you need is one success it doesn't matter how many projections you have um, but it took me 16 years to get that one success but okay in 1971 you became a tribute to scripts to little and large show how did that come about well it, um, once I even when I sold the script the first script um, no one really wanted to do it um, I was asked to write a series, but no one, because there are no jokes in them, people read them, didn't find them funny at all. And so the, the series was rejected. I was told I, I would never, it would never be seen on television. So that's when I started writing sketches to try and make a living really, but it's very difficult with sketches alone. Um, and I started with Dave Allen, who was quite a well-known series had to write quite a well known series and Frankie Howard but I think in those days we were getting um, five pounds a minute for a sketch or part of a sketch part of a minute so everyone you tried to make your sketch last 65 seconds so you got 10 pounds and the BBC would cut it down to 55 so and um, but it was impossible to make a living at it you know so um, I, th I think with comedy, the only way to make a living is situation comedy. And that's the most difficult to write, really. Um, How do you writing sketches compare to penning a sitcom? Oh, so writing sketches was much easier because you, you most of my sketches last less than a minute or a minute. And it was just an idea. I, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed them. Um, Whereas sitcom is quite stressful and it's, yeah, I think it's a, the hardest form of writing. And it was interesting that they, I was always looking in, in, in these writers' yearbooks to find out how much they paid. And I think they paid, you know, three or four times as much in those days for a 30-minute comedy than they did for a two-hour drama. Because comedy is difficult. I think the year I broke in, I said, you know, what are the chances of being accepted by the BBC? And I was told they got 5,000 scripts a year from new writers. And they bought about five out of 5,000. Yeah, you you had a sitcom rejected by the by ITV? Tell us a little yes, bit about they, that. Yes, that was rejected. And um, I was told... Um, I wrote a letter in a covering letter with my script and said, you know, I, I want desperately wanted to be a, a writer and could they give me some advice? And, and the, the, this, uh, the head of comedy was, wrote back um, and said, yes, give up. He said, to be a comedy writer, you need three things. Um, you need a sense of humour and an ear for dialogue and some talent 
and having read your script, you haven't got any of these. And it was very, um, I was absolutely shocked, really. And I, I didn't, you know, I'd written another script and I nearly didn't send it off. And um, I remember asking advice from someone who was a professional writer. And I said, do you think I should send this in? Because I've been told to give up. And he said, well, just tell me what it's about. And I said, it's a young married couple and it's an accident-prone husband and the devoted wife. And he said, forget it. It's been done before. It's corny. Don't bother. But in the end, I did. I sent it to the BBC and that was um, the first episode of Some Mothers Do Have Them. So, um, okay. But acclaim was just around the corner in 1973 when the BBC commissioned Some Mothers Do Have Them. Uh, beyond the slapstick and awkwardness of Frank Spencer lies quite a touching story between the hapless man coping with a severe social ineptitude. Aided by the ever-supportive wife, this aspect of the show doesn't appear a typical subject for a comedy. How did you maintain a fine balance between comedy and pathos? It's very difficult because I, I, I never see myself as a funny person. I, I think of myself as very serious. And um, at the time, I, w I was trying to, struggling to make a living. I felt a failure and I was suffering from depression, had no money. Um, and a lot of it came into the character. And I'd actually been told during all the dozens of scripts I'd had rejected, they, they said, you, you should write about what you know, write about people you understand. And I was writing all these plays about people like James Bond and secret agents and people who were a success. And I said, look, the only thing I understand at the moment is, is lack of money, being unemployed and being depressed. And, and no one wants to read about that. And of course, when I started writing Some Mothers, it was supposed to be a comedy, but it did come over as very serious. And he actually was. I never saw Frank Spencer as having a sense of humour. And he was a very serious person. And um, because I know when they were casting Betty, one of the producers wanted to have this really glamorous blonde playing his wife. And I said, you know, a, a woman like that wouldn't marry him. It would have to be someone very sympathetic and kind. And, uh, and of course, we were lucky. We got someone who was attractive as well, which was Michel Dutrice. But Frank, he, see, he came over as likeable, but if in real life he would have driven people mad, you know, you wouldn't have put up with him at all. Do you think Frank Spencer suffered from a form of mental illness? No, I, I never saw him as mentally ill. It would have worried me if I had, because of course he, his wife went on and had a daughter. And um, no, I thought he was very quaint and very strange and very old-fashioned. And I wanted to give a reason for this. So then I brought his mother in and tried to show his background had been very strange. His father had walked out on him and he'd been brought up by this very strange woman, Mrs Spencer and he'd never gone to school, and, and uh, he was just a very odd man. But I never, never saw him as mentally ill in, in any way. I don't think anyone else did. Um, some, I don't know, 
He was very effeminate, and I wondered if he'd have come over as gay, but again, no one seemed to pick up on that at all. He was meant to be, you know, he wasn't meant to be. Um, he was just quaint and old-fashioned. In the 1970s, prob was probably the most lucrative decade for the BBC, with extensive budgets and resources. When writing a more physically dominated scenes in some others, were you always cautious about writing the more elaborate stunts? I never liked writing the stunts. Um, there was a lot of physical stuff in the first series before I'd met Michael, because I'd been told um, that another reason why I'd had so many rejections was because all my characters ever did was talk. And they said, you know, it's television, not radio. You've got to see them doing things. Um, and I always felt we got to the point where Michael exaggerated the physical stuff in the first series and it led to these really quite dangerous stunts and after that the audience expected it. But I was never happy with them um, because they were dangerous and I don't think they would have been allowed today. But Michael did it. He never turned anything down and some of the stuff he came up with was quite... I just preferred the dialogue really um but the bbc were quite happy to do anything as well which i th i think they might shy off today um but of course we were lucky in the day that there seemed to be no political correctness and there didn't seem to be much health and safety you know um there wasn't back then at no, all i suppose no there was nothing was there it's, it's funny can't, it's hard to believe isn't yeah. it yeah, now it's dominated. It is. People can't do anything, can they? And they can't even get insurance, I don't think, if they do it themselves. Why did it come to an end in 1978? Well, originally, I'd actually sent it in as a one script. There was a programme called Comedy Playhouse, and I thought I had enough material for one script. And I thought he'd done everything in this one script. And then they wrote, said, write six more, which was a bit of a shock. And eventually it ran to, we, I did 22 scripts. But then I think we were both felt we'd like to go out while it was, was a success. And Michael was being involved in other things. He was very much involved in the theatre. And of course he went on to do Barnum and Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And he didn't want to get typecast. Um, and so we thought, we thought it, I was finding it increasingly difficult to come up with ideas anyway. Um, we seemed to have covered so many subjects. We had him in a hospital, destroying a hotel, destroying a house. He'd been in the RAF, everything, you know. Um, uh, to be a solo sitcom writer, I imagine it can be a bit of a poison chalice in once that you hit all uh, once you hit it all all the people wanted to know about was that do you ever wish that you'd written another genre which was equally as successful no I, I was I think I was just very very lucky to sort of write that at that particular time because I think today the stunts wouldn't be allowed most of them and to meet someone like Michael Crawford. And it was just it was a, a real blessing, really. And it led, um, although it made it difficult for me to sell work after some mothers, 
it's not a good thing to start your career on. You really want to go out with something like that. But then there were the benefits of it sold. It was sold to 60 countries. There were repeats. Then we had the videos, the DVDs. And um, and they still repeat it today. And we always hope perhaps it'll come to a stage play. Um, it was just a wonder, you know, it was, it was just, I just think I was very lucky to, to, you know, and I meet people and they come up to me and say, you must be sick to death of talking about it. And I say, no, I'm glad. I love talking about it, you know. Yeah, am, am I right thinking you also written a couple of stage plays? Tell us a little bit about them and how different they are writing for theatre rather than television. Yes, I, I, I did. I, I've written two stage versions for just to be performed on the Isle of Wight um, that were quite successful. And I wrote another stage play um, which did toured for 12 weeks. But it, uh, again, it, I think having written some others, it had the advantage, it drew in audiences, but I think some of them were a bit disappointed. They expected to be another, see another Frank Spencer. And uh, most of the critics said it, it, it's not a patch on Frank Spencer. And it, it was a bit of a handicap. And um, it's just amazing how, you know, if you knew what made a success, you'd be very rich and you just don't. You know, with some mothers, I think, well, it was a very, we were very, uh, when the first series came out, the first reaction of the newspapers wasn't very good. And they said, oh, we got the accident-prone husband, the well-meaning wife, devoted wife. It's been done before. And it had been done before, but I don't know, somehow Frank Spencer was different. And I don't know how it would have been if another actor had played it. They wanted Norman Wisdom first choice, but... I think Michael Crawford was really the only one who could have made it that good. In 2016, Frank Spencer returned to our screens in a very special episode in aid of Sport Relief. What was your role in that? Well, I, I co-wrote it with, with um, the comedy writers, the Dawson Brothers, and they concentrated on the stunts and the action, and I did, did the dialogue. Um, and it was amazing. My, Michael lives half the year in New Zealand and he came back to do it. Um, and he, he said he'd do it on condition, he could do his own stunts. Then I found out he was 74, we wondered, and he was brilliant, he did everything. He's never turned anything down. Um, I, I, it, it's just an amazing character and he didn't look any different actually. Um, and I hadn't seen him for nearly 40 years. And I, I imagined um, what the reunion would be after 40 years. And it was um, very low-key. I walked up into the BBC and he was sitting there. And he looked up and after 40 years said, Oh, hello, Ray. And I said, Hello, Michael. And that was it. <laughs> you know, it was as though we'd never been apart. But <laughs> Excellent. Okay, looking back over your career, what is your proudest achievement? I think it has to be some mothers do have them because for, for years my I'd lived, while I was trying to break in, I'd lived on my earnings doing part-time work and my parents had supported me, helped me. And I think my proudest moment was, was 
taking my parents to the BBC as, a, as guests and letting them see the show and then meeting the cast afterwards, you know, it was just unbelievable. Um, just couldn't believe it. And, um, and in a way it's more unbelievable because I've, I was born on the Isle of Wight and I've never left it. So if, if I'd moved to London, as people suggested, I think it would have been a, di a different life. But coming back home to the people who'd known me for years, it all seemed a bit like a dream. It still does, really. Yeah. Well, we'd like to thank you for your time. I hope it Thank you very much to our guests for being the subject to another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.